You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and my great mate, Arthur Parkinson. And today we are joined by two people that neither of us have met, but we're really excited to chat to. And they are the land gardeners, Bridget Elworthy and Henrietta Courtauld. And the reason that we've asked them to chat is about soil. Because of course in spring, when everything starts to grow, the key ingredient to gardening is soil. And it's so easy to kind of plant stuff at this time of year and just forget about where it's coming from and what is going to make it healthy or not. And that's why we invited both Bridget and Henrietta to really fill this half hour pretty much with soil talk. Welcome both of you. It's lovely to have you here. Oh, Sarah and Arthur, we're absolutely delighted to be here. And Henry and I remember very well coming on some of your courses about 15 years ago and sitting at your feet and listening to all your pearls of wisdom about growing. So yes, thank you. It's great to be with you. (laughs) I didn't know that, but that's really nice. And I'm sort of taking a step back from teaching really, but it's still one of my my great passions. But anyway, we're not too here to talk about me. Tell us the whole story of how you met, how you set up the land gardeners, you know, where you're going. Just just fill us in on everything. Oh, well, I suppose we met at, extraordinarily, we met at the nursery gate. Uh, so we, our children were at nursery school together. Right. And Bridgie and I got to know each other and started chatting. And soon we should have been chatting play dates and whether our children were going to meet to play. But in fact, we started chatting soil and flowers and birds and bees and found that we had this wonderful common passion together. And I went to one of Bridget's, well, to her daughter's birthday party. And most people, when they go to a birthday party, are given a a balloon or a lollipop as a going home present. But Bridget turned to me. Or oh, exactly, or worse. <laughs> Massive party bag. Yeah, exactly. Of plastic. But not this party. <laughs> yeah, not this party. I was handed a book on compost, of which wow. Bridgie had just bought 20 books. God. And that began uh, the story and our quest, really, to find out more about the soil and to learn about it. And that was probably about 19 years ago, because our daughters are now in their 20s, and we, I'd just been living in New Zealand. Um, my husband's family have a farm out in New Zealand, and I'd suddenly become very passionate about farming and soil and animal health and um, mm. plant health. And also it was when I really discovered climate change, and mm. I was just mm. bowled over. I mean, I actually spent six months almost paralysed at the thought of, you know, what's coming and I kept thinking, well, how can just someone like me make a difference? And for me, it was soil. And I started to learn and, and work with some people in New Zealand and suddenly realized that if we got the soil working properly, then everything flows from that. You know, the soil can then has the ability to sequester carbon. It has the ability to grow nutrient-dense food for animals, humans. Mm. And thus the whole cycle begins. So when I came back to London, 
I was absolutely ranting and raving about all of this. And luckily, darling Henry sort of listened and we decided to sort of build a company and a business together with that really at its core. Yes, and I think we also really discussed that whole idea of beauty in gardens. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'd been designing gardens and planting them. And there is there is something so much deeper about real beauty in a garden that is to do with its life, the feeling of life in it. And that, that really comes from the soil up and whether it is filled with mm. wildlife and birds and bees and insects, and you can feel that energy. And really, we wanted to explore the ideas around that, about what is beauty and actually beauty really is to do with energy and life in a garden. Yeah, mm. that's so true. And the more we, we've looked into it, and, and we've been working with this amazing woman in New Zealand called Kay Baxter, um, and she has something called Regeneration Production. So if any of you are really interested in this, you should look it up. But um, it all stems from energy in the soil and the seed and the way then that the whole microlife interact with the seed and as it grows and then when it comes out into the air, it's how much of the nutrients then the plant can pull from the air. So if you get a dud seed or a, you know, too many seeds that have been mucked around with, then, you know, that whole, that, that sort of communication is broken right from the beginning. So you've got to really look from the ground up and it's also incredibly important, the sort of seeds you, you have and use. Mm. And so does that involve mycorrhizal fungi as well? I mean, that's something we've experimented with quite a lot here, but it sounds like you're going into it in a much more profound and, and layered level. But we, we did a trial here with roses and we, we literally planted one whole bed with mycorrhizae and one without. And it was amazing. Just immediate, You saw it so quickly that they came into leaf more quickly. The flower production was at least a quarter more and went on for longer. So, you know, it's so, it's so difficult, isn't it, to define and pin down the benefits of taking the whole biodiversity, including fungi, birds, butterflies, bees, everything, seriously. But but when you're actually producing food or flowers, as you are, you need to, <laughs> you know, not just yes. to save the climate, but it, if it helps your purse, it's uh, it's another whole layer, isn't it? And the funny thing is, Sarah and Arthur, is that, you know, when we arrived here, I mean, I we arrived here 12 years ago, you know, the, the actually the walled garden here was disused um, and it had mm. been used really as sort of, I don't know, rubbish pits and a burning area. And, and I was, of course, that was the one area that I was totally obsessed by. So I got in there and, and we and we did a test, an Elbrick test, which is a very broad test that um, comes from America on all the different avenues of soil. And luckily, we actually lost the test, but luckily the other day we found it. So we've seen the wow. soil from, you know, over the last 11 years. And actually we've, we've doubled our carbon content in the soil. Wow. And also the, the soil now is so full of goodies that someone's even suggested we bag it up and sell it as wow. fertilizer. Yeah, so, that's so which good. is really, wow. which is, because yeah. it, it's like you say, it's very hard to know if what you're doing is the right thing. And, yeah. and you know, we've been bumbling along and trying different methods of composting and we've really sort of, sort of settled on one over the last maybe four or five years and you know we use that in combination with green manures so phacelias and mustards and and you know that's something that people can be thinking about now so if Mm. they have a spare bit of land in their veggie gardens and they're not going to be planting till mid-may because the frosts might come Mm -hmm. they can always sprinkle some some mustard seed to cover the earth because that for us has become our sort of mantra is even though I used to love seeing a bit of freshly tilled soil 
I've had to sort of re-educate myself to say no. Even weeds are better than seeing freshly cultivated soil. Well, in fact, actually, the the weeds are there. Are the earth trying to repair itself because you've got all this this whole world of bacteria and microorganisms beneath the soil, mm-hmm. and they have this wonderful partnership with plants. So the plants bring down the food from photosynthesis, feeding these microorganisms. The microorganisms in turn take the nutrients from the soil and give them to the plant. So it's really weeds are really nature's way of mm. saying, oh, we need this, we need this ecosystem to continue. If you've got bare soil, let's send in weeds. We need to have plants. We need to keep that soil covered. Yeah. Mm. And it's also to do with the um biodiversity. So, you know, if it's just one crop, it's not very interesting because only some microbes or some little creatures in the soil, you know, will eat that. So the more you can mix in, I mean, I keep thinking of your gardens, Sarah, are so wonderfully full of, of vegetables and flowers and all mixed up together. And that's so brilliant because that's what's really giving all sorts of life, both mm. under the ground and over the ground. And I think the more the merrier. I remember um, the health of the pollinators. I had this amazing insect scientist who told me that all insects, but particularly bees, like us, need their five a day. You know, so a field of rapeseed oil is is hopeless because it's just yes. giving them one profile of nutrition. But if you can do that thing of intermingling lots of things, you are just making a much healthier insect, much healthier animal, because it's getting so many different minerals and nutrients from the different plants. And and it's so good to think of it like give your bees, you know, their five a day, because <laughs> we've had that that sort of government propaganda plugged into our heads. I mean, it's good propaganda. It's the right propaganda, but it's it's also true of our gardens. And, uh, you know, to, to make them healthy, you need variation. Mm. Yeah, totally. Yes, and uh, and actually our farms as well. I mean, when we look yeah. out at those big wheat fields, yes. they're big deserts, yeah. really. Total. Yeah. And um, that that's something that we now are looking into going into. And we really want to sort of garden the land on a farm scale, like we've been mm. doing in a small garden. Yeah. Wow. So, so that you're mixing Gosh. crops, you're having strips of them, and you're having mixed herbal lays. So we get so much more biodiversity into our landscape. Mm. Um, we're super lucky because we've teamed up with this wonderful farmer, regen farmer called Tim Williams, who's down in Cornwall. And he said something that really, really resonated with us. When he first came to Europe, he's actually another Kiwi. I'm a Kiwi as well. And when he first came to Europe, he went to Austria. And he was just amazed when he went to visit a farm. And he said it was just so beautiful. It was like a garden because there would be rows of corn, rows of phacelia, rows of beans in strips, and then also surrounded by lovely sort of hedgerows. And he was struck about, A, how beautiful it was and how vibrant it was. And so Mm. that's something that we are really excited about working with him on that. And he's also um, very interested in doing cover crops, where he, I think he's got something like 30 different varieties, or maybe even more, of grasses and herbs and flowers that he puts into his, his fields for the animals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, taking us back to the garden, which of course is what we're we mainly here to talk about. So, if you're going to do a green manure, one of the things I've always found challenging about them is then integrating them back into the soil. So, can you give us any tips? So, I mean, I love the senior and I love the mustards, 
and I love the lupins, but then they're growing and they're flowering. And then how do you chop them up and get them the organic matter down into your soil level? Okay, so something like mustard, which can be a bit hot, even if you tried to eat it. So you've got to think, oh, that must be quite sort of tough on a new little seedling. What we'll do now, because we try to do less, as less digging as possible. We yeah. used to be chop it in and then leave it mm. for 10 days before planting. Yeah. Now what we've decided to do is we chop it. And because we're compost crazy, we can't wait to get our hands on some of that top growth. And that goes into the compost heap. Right. And then the bottom, because it's an annual, it just then what we do is we plant straight into to the chopped mustard or field beans. You know, one thing that we we often do is we'll have tulips and then field beans and then cosmos. So you'll have your tulips come yeah. up, look pretty, yeah. and then the field beans will come snaking through yeah. and then we'll chop that down. And they give mm. the nitrogen because they're, yep. they're nitrogen then, fixes. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So the, the roots have got – and so you're keeping those roots in the soil, which is where the nitrogen is. You take off the top and you either put that in your compost mm-hmm. or sometimes we lay it down as a mulch mm-hmm. and then we plant our compost seedlings sort of mid-May into that. Wow. And and c- could you do that with a broad bean? I mean, field beans are like a, a, a tougher yes, form, yeah, aren't they? Absolutely. An animal form. Totally. Yeah. So once you've harvested broad beans. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So you just chop them off and either leave them as a mulch or – and so just then the root system is the thing that is going to – decompose and enrich below the soil level. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. And I was looking at your Instagram this weekend, actually, and there was the most wonderful film by your head gardener, I think, on Bocking 14 Comfrey, mm-hmm. which is just, I, I'd love, it sort of got me thinking about our compost here because I'm also obsessed by compost, but to be brutally frank, we're not always hugely successful because we don't turn it often enough and we, we keep trying to mean to turn it more. But will you talk us through, again, if you just think about the sort of domestic gardener on quite a small scale, if you were to give them sort of three or four tips about how to make a really successful and quick decomposition of their compost? What we've come around to now is making compost cakes. Yes, uh-huh. I love those. Which it's really, really good fun. It is, in fact, you do recipes, don't you? I think, Sarah, on this, we've heard yes. you. This is the best recipe for the garden is a compost cake. <laughs> and what we do is over time, we collect our ingredients. So you'll be collecting your weeds, you'll be mowing the lawn, and you collect them all together rather in a, in a pantry, really. And then we layer up, putting layers of carbon and nitrogen in a circle, probably about, what would you say, 1.5 metre diameter. Mm-hmm. We're in chicken wire or something, or not even? Well, actually, we put stakes around the outside. Okay. We put hazel mm. stakes in a circle. Or bamboo. Yeah. Or bamboo, yeah. And we it's very carbon heavy. So yeah. we'll have about 50% carbon. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have probably 30% nitrogen, of which maybe 10% of that is very fresh greens. It's wonderful if you've just mown the lawn. Okay. Because that mm. really is a good... Uh, has a good energy to it. And we add 10% clay. Now, that's wow. the, that's the wow, key, clay. guys. The key yeah. is Gosh. clay because clay is sort of like a home for the micro life. It protects oh, it. Wow. And also, it's full of minerals. Wow. And and we're actually working with these wonderful scientists, both at Rothamsted and, and at um, Cranfield. And, you know, really that whole humifying ability of the soil, it's really tricky if it's sandy. So, you know, that actual ability for the soil to lock carbon in 
if the particles are too big. But somewhere like clay, it's very small, the particles. You, you have, mm. You're on clay, aren't you, Sarah? Yeah, yeah, very much yes, so. Yes. yes. So just to be clear, so carbon uh, is coming from something like an organic straw from a Absolutely, pet shop or, or whatever. artichokes, artichokes oh, yeah. that you've cut down in the garden, cardoons, old, okay. old hay, old leaves. Hay. Cardboard? You, so your yes. Amazon Cardboard, box absolutely. Torn, torn up? Yes. Yep. Not, not, Perfect. Plug, not also, plugging Amazon. People, not people, plugging Amazon. Um, people get really sort of worried about how big their wood chips that could be. So obviously mm. wood chip is all carbon. Yeah. But what we try and do is have young wood chips. So yeah. any wood that's on sort of up to three-year growth, so we say sort of about five centimetres, and if you chip that, that's wonderful. But anything higher than that sort of unbalances the pile because yeah, it's and too, takes too long. Too much. It needs too much nitrogen to sort of break it down. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And so then nitrogen is your is your kitchen waste, or I mean, you know, your outer lettuce leaves and cabbage leaves and everything. Tea bags. And, yes. Animal manure, yes. chicken poo. Tea bags only if they're one that decompose because a lot of them, a lot of them aren't biodegradable. Which ones do decompose? Well, again, I don't want to be plugging everyone, but I think tea clipper do. <laughs> tea a lot of the organic ones yes. do, but I mean PG pucker, tips. Pucker. Uh, uh, sorry, what did I say? Yeah, yeah. Oh no, tea clipper, pucker. Yeah, but no, we find we've got tea bags coming out of our compost because we haven't used the right brand of tea. Ah, that's so, interesting. Um, okay. You know, you've got to bear that in mind. And uh, you're you're a massive poultry freak arthur but yes. the thing that doesn't break down at all we find here is eggshells no i suppose they don't do you put eggshells that's funny that no we um well we do put some in yes but yeah. we crush them up you a do. bit yeah, yes. crush them up. okay mm. yeah yes but possibly they take a while i mean our system is quite hot i mean the compost yeah. cake system takes about four or five months Mm. And it starts off at sort of the height. You build it up and it's quite fun because you can do it with friends. And you, Yeah, I've seen these videos of these groups that you oh, help to do them. They're fantastic. It is fun. It and, is. and then you get to the top and then you think, oh, God, that looks amazing. But within sort of two weeks, it's half the size. Right. And so once we made in November that cleared up all the old dahlias and all the stuff from the kitchen garden at the end of the year, and now actually probably about two feet high, and you think, gosh, well, was that worth it? But I looked into the pile the other day and it's still warm. I mean, even mm. when it was negative five, the mm. pile was still 10 degrees. So obviously very active with microbes. And I went in there and it's absolutely amazing. It's like soil. Wow. I mean, it's, no, wow. it's absolutely so broken down and delicious. And we're about to put it through our compost testing regime to see how good it is. And actually what we'll do is we'll keep 10% of that pile and then we'll use that in the next pile. So that becomes uh, a bit like an inoculum. Oh, Your okay. next pile yeah. No, so it's yeah. just like your kombucha or your whatever, your, your, mother. your, your, your mother, your mother, your mother, mother. Or like <laughs> when you're cleaning out a fish tank and you always have to keep a bit of the old water in because that's got oh, all the, exactly. the goodness exactly. for the fish and it's all alive yeah. rather than the fresh yes. water. But how important is moisture for compost tea? Oh, oh it scary. is important. Yeah. It is. So there, there are three main things that are important, which is water, keeping it moist, mm. oxygen, uh, right. which is why we introduce a lot of carbon, because that's airy, particularly mm. the base layers, mm -hmm. and temperature as well. So we're looking to keep it at a temperature about around sort of 60 degrees, between 59 and 65 degrees. You don't want it getting hotter than that. Otherwise, you start to kill the good bugs in it. Oh, yeah. okay. um, so it's really what we all need for life, which is oxygen, mm. temperature, and, and moisture, water. 
Mm. We try and do that when we make it. So it's all about judging the amounts when you make right. it. Because then ideally you're not going to turn it for yeah. sort of four or five months. If it does get really hot, then you think, oh, God, and then you have to turn it, which is actually mm. really quite a chore because it's big. Yeah. yeah. But if you get enough carbon in it, it seems to keep the heat down and makes it levels out the heat for longer rather than a lot of nitrogen makes it spike. Mm. But the thing, the type of compost we're making, the climate compost that we're making on a bigger scale is all turned regularly. So it's a very hot compost that we turn and within six to eight weeks, we literally, in fact, Sarah and Arthur, we're going to we'll send you some. some. It's honestly, yes. we feel like bathing in it. It's so light and completely broken down. It just looks like soil. Mm. So will this incredible compost, you're going to be able to be selling it to somebody like me who possibly yes. hasn't got a compost? Because yes. I honestly haven't got a compost Absolutely. bin. But I, yeah. you know, you have, you've both succeeded in making compost sexy. It's, it's gone from being the bit at the oh, back of the gardening oh, book oh, I don't to, think to so, something but... that's exciting. And, you know, no, you have, you know, I, I am far more interested in it through looking at your Instagram and seeing these, you know, compost cakes. What a gorgeous word. But for someone in a town who's just got, you know, two big pots by the door, I'll be able to get a proper bag of compost from you soon and it will keep my pots alive, will it? Well, the, the thing about it, because we've been trialling this over the last four to five years and we mm. thought we were going to be producing lovely big bags of compost. That, yeah. um, But because it became more and more concentrated and more and more microbially rich, mm. we've worked out that actually we've sort of, we're doing two litre bags of it, mm-hmm. yeah. whereby you just use a pinch. Just so when pin, you're planting yeah. out your seedlings yeah. or you're putting something into your pot, you put a pinch underneath, a little bit like the microcosmal fungi. Obviously, it's, mm. right. that microcosmal fungi is so expensive, you don't want to be t- putting in no. too much, but it, it really makes a difference. So in a funny way, it's almost like an inoculum. And so yeah, you don't right. need much. Um, you just have to team it with a good compost. As yes. I know, um, we all are really aware that you've got to, it's a bit, it's a bit of a minefield out there with compost. Yeah. Um, so you mm, just really have is. to have somebody that doesn't have any amino pyrrolids or nasties yeah, in, there, quite, in the mm, compost. Quite, quite. So we must begin to wrap up now, but tell us what's happening in the future with you two. Oh, oh well, we're, we're, we're moving to a farm. Um, wow. So we're going to be trialling our compost on this farm down in Cornwall. And then uh, we hope on other farms actually around the country we've got hope other people will be interested we've got one already in um, Northamptonshire and we really want to trial the compost on the farm and part of this whole regenerative agricultural program to to explore ways of healing our land and making it more biodiverse and making it really open to everyone I mean yeah. this is not mm. information that we want to keep it's something we keep saying we want to spread like measles but maybe not measles mm. or COVID, like poppies all over the country yeah. where, <laughs> yes. where we want to teach people how to do it themselves yeah. fantastic and so we are moving from Wardington Manor it's very exciting the cut flower business is moving to France to the north of Loire we had this wonderful guy who helped us a couple of years ago called Emmanuel Teard, and he is based in our French garden over there, and we will be doing cut flowers there, which is pretty exciting because actually that's just France is just starting to click on to the fact that you don't have to buy all your flowers from the market or yeah, from right. you know market flowers. Mm. So that's pretty exciting. And also we have our design work. We, yes. We're working on a yeah. few really wonderful restoration projects of old walled gardens which are very yeah. productive, looking at soils and, and going right from the bottom up. So we're, we're pretty busy, but, you know, really exciting changes. Really exciting. I just want everyone to come with us on the journey. New books? Oh, yes. Well, we have 
uh, started a new book, which is called, going to be called From Soil to Table. And that really is that whole journey of how, if you can improve the health of your soil, you can improve the nutrient density of what you eat. Mm. And oh, that is yeah. the key to our health. And really looking at so many of our local producers. Uh, and that was really lockdown, actually, that made us mm. look in our neighbourhood for mm. wonderful people who were making cheese and lovely uh, pasture-fed beef and really working with those people. And we realised that actually we wanted to tell that story too. And actually, there's a really good website called Farms to Feed Us, which yes, began on a... Yeah, yeah it's a great, but it began on an Excel spreadsheet that just spread and it makes you realise that actually this sort of information can get out pretty quickly and it can mm. be spread pretty quickly too. So, you know, there's all sorts. If you look up their website, you can find people local to you to, yeah. to, you know, to get food. And luckily that you've linked into food because we're going to finish by talking about the crop from a garden that hopefully quite a lot of us are eating at the moment, which is asparagus. So I wonder if you would give me your favourite asparagus recipe and then we'll finish with one of mine. Okay, well, probably not very exciting because, I mean, we you love... You have to do this, Bridgie. Yeah. I, I burn everything. You burn everything? Oh, no, no. Well, I, I mean, we love asparagus <laughs> and we, we do grow them, but we um, just blanched asparagus with a really simple hollandaise sauce and then you can sort of zhuzh that up a bit with some chervil or some, you know, some herbs. And, and how us, will you make just, your hollandaise? Will you, will you, any good tips to not curdling your hollandaise? Uh, well, the thing is, Sarah, I've got to admit that I've got something called a Thermomix that someone oh, gave me. You're oh, you're a terrible and, cheat. And, yeah, we, have a, so, we have a great friend who's in love with her Thermomix, yes, Arthur and I. Do, she, 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 she persuaded me to buy one. <laughs> and it was like this alien had arrived in my kitchen. I'm a, I'm a, kid, I'm a cook who believes in chopping. So this alien yeah. arrived. I had to read this instruction manual. And I felt literally like E.T. had, had, had taken over my life. I sent it back within three days. I hate it. Well, I have to say, the only thing I do is hollandaise sauce in it, <laughs> a bit like you. <laughs> but it is good for hollandaise sauce. Yes, and apparently it's brilliant for stocks and things. Anyway, sorry, yeah. poor old Thermomix. Um, okay, yeah. well, I'm, I'm just going to finish with my favourite recipe at the moment for asparagus. I mean, I love an asparagus tart. I mean, there's almost nothing better, but that can be a bit of a palaver. So if I just want something really quick, I just do a salad of asparagus and peas, which are just coming in and being really delicious. There's a very good pea that we find is very early here called Nairobi. So we just started picking that, which is a sugar snap and broad beans. And so all those little tiny baby broad beans, they may be in the green grocery, or you may have some, or whole pods of broad beans, um, I think are beautiful. And it then is incredibly simple. It's just lots of basil leaves, lemon juice, lemon zest, olive oil. And then I do tend to make a little bit of a pesto and just drizzle it over with some red onion. And it really makes asparagus into something that is padded out. So it isn't horrendously kind of expensive if you're buying it or if you aren't growing very much of it, but you still have that essence of asparagus. And always, I would say, go for the Mediterranean route, which is never let asparagus see water. You only ever let it see the griddle pan. And so you either grill it under the grill or you heat a griddle for a good minute before you put them on. But uh, the Italians would say never, never should you boil asparagus. And I tend to agree with them. Thank you so much, both. Uh, I'm now going to call you Bridge, not Bridget. 
and I'm going to call you Henry, not Henrietta, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for joining us. And I hope you've certainly taught me more about compost and I'm going to be perfecting my compost and making cakes. And thank you, Arthur. Thank and thank you. you all very much for listening. And next week, we're going to talk about all things allium. So from the ornamental varieties and Arthur's and my favourite to chives and what you might do with chives, including very suitable to the land gardeners. We actually make lots of chive tea here, which we found to be an incredibly effective fungicide. So a natural fungicide. So anything like our calendulas or our ranunculus that might get mildew in the greenhouse because they get too hot, chive tea is the way. And we'll tell you all about that next week. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.